I wonder if uh, you were one, and the, one of the 11 and a half million people who watched the final episode of Bodyguard a few Sunday nights ago. Peter and I were amongst those. Um, we didn't want anybody saying anything on Monday morning and uh, telling us how that drama ended. Uh, for those of you who were hooked on it, like us, you'll know that every episode um, had a surprise in it, a real twist. And uh, it was a complex plot. There were red herrings and all sorts of involvements. And if you think back to the characters to whom we were introduced, some of them we would say these were good people, some we would definitely say were really bad people, and there were lots of in-between people, uh, misguided people, and even those uh, suffering mental illness. And in many ways, um, the Bible story of David and Absalom, and to get the full story, you need to read from the second book of Samuel, but from chapters 13 and read right into chapter 19. Um, that story has got just as many twists and turns. And if you were here last, uh, last Sunday evening listening to Ewan, you would have heard some of, of, of those, uh, the web of intrigue that, that went on a little earlier in the story. So I think that uh, today's reading, which tragically brought us to the death of Absalom, it's actually quite a good point to stop in the story of David and to look at just three of the main characters. And uh, if we could have the PowerPoint up, please, Tina. Um, the characters are King David himself, obviously, and Absalom uh, and Joab. And uh, we're going to look at them from the point of view of what was driving their lives. And from that, I hope, reflect somewhat on what is driving our lives and uh, to think about that a bit. So uh, I'll do a little recap of today's story and in best modern drama style we'll do some flashbacks as we go uh, just to fill in the gaps for, for those who might, of you who might know, not know it all. Chapter 18 begins in a battlefield and the battle was determined to determine who would be the future king of Israel. Now that might seem really surprising because King David had been king for many, many years and uh, he were, had been much loved. Under his reign there had been battles won, there had been alliances with other countries. It was a large kingdom that he reigned over and we could say he was a very successful king because he loved God and God had definitely blessed his reign. Now he was old and yet there was a battle going on about whether he would remain as king. And it was with Absalom. Now Absalom was his third son. You know David had a number of wives so he had sons by his different wives. So this was the third son uh, and actually by his third wife. And that wife um, was 
the unusual one out of all the others because she was from royal blood. So Absalom had been brought up um, with uh, royalty from his mother's side and now the son of the great King David. And uh, he really behaved in that sort of way. We read earlier on that he moved around with an entourage of at least 50 people and that he was uh, charismatic, popular, and that he dressed to impress. And he had this hairdo. The hair is particularly mentioned. Now, I know young men these days put a lot of gel and various products in their hair. I'm curious to know how... Uh, Absalom, you know, got this big hairdo. So uh, I've, I've no idea. If anybody has any insights, come tell me afterwards. Um, and furthermore, we read um, that just before this uh, chapter that he'd made himself even more popular with people because he'd sat in Jerusalem at the gate, which is where kings and judges had traditionally sat. And when people came with grievances... He listened to them, and basically he always agreed with them, whatever it was that they said. So he became quite popular. I was talking about Absalom with uh, my own son on the phone, actually, um, a few days ago. And uh, we got on to talking about people who might be a bit like Absalom today. And uh, we named certain politicians and uh, certain celebrities and uh, I'm not going there but you know you, you can probably think of folks anyway Absalom though has been in exile for several years and it appears by this time that there had been reconciliation between them but of course it wasn't real and uh, so we come to this point where in fact Absalom was challenging for the kingship and so both armies, David's and Absalom's, had gone north from Jerusalem. They had crossed the River Jordan and they were both in the land of Gilead. And verse 1 tells us there that David, King David, wanted to lead out his army. Now he'd made a mistake, if you remember, about this before. There was a time when he didn't, he chose not to lead out his army. And that's when he'd been tempted by Bathsheba and all of that incident had occurred. Uh, he wasn't making that mistake again. And uh, so he said, I'm going to lead out the army. But he was, of course, by now an older man. And although he was known to be very brave, um, he was persuaded to actually stay there in the city. They said, after all, David, your son Absalom is trying to kill you. You're the key target. It's better that you stay behind. So David delegated all his commands to his uh, chief commander, Joab, and to his generals and to his captains. But he watched them go out, and as they started going out to war, he said to Joab and to all the soldiers that were there, you must treat my son Absalom gently. That was the command he made in front of everyone and then he watched the whole army go out. And in verses 6 and 7 of uh, chapter 18, we get this account of a really bloody battle 
in the forest of Ephraim. Uh, Peter and I went to some of the World War I battle sites in Belgium um, earlier in the summer, and um, the, the image you get really here is, is a bit like those World War I battles in, in that there was great slaughter went on. And Absalom's troops got the worst of it. They were uh, trying to get away. But David's men came across Absalom. And he apparently had been trying to escape on a mule. don't know why it was a mule. Um, and this incident that we could actually laugh at, but it was horrible, was this hairdo apparently got stuck on a branch of an oak tree. It was an oak forest. And uh, the news of him being there and hanging from that tree was, was taken back by the men that saw him, David's men, back to Joab, the commander. And as we heard, Joab was really, really annoyed that he hadn't been killed. And so he said, I'll do something about it. And uh, so he went and he plunged three daggers into his heart. And ten of his closest men joined him, finished off the job, dug the pit, and they buried Absalom in a deep pit with, with stones over the top. And then there are several verses where there's a long discussion goes on about who should go back to David and give the news. It was a victory, and so people, some people were keen to do that. But it's interesting that Joab, who of course had some information he wanted to hide, he chose, uh, I think in the NIV it says a man from Cush, so probably an Ethiopian, a foreigner, from way down in the south, who didn't know all the ins and outs of uh, the story, and chose him to go and tell King David. So off he goes, gives the good news, as he thought, to David, who, of course, asked immediately about what had happened to his son Absalom, and on hearing of the death, was totally, totally overcome with emotion. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, he says. If only I could have died instead of you. And those words and uh, that image of that scene have become really famous over the years. You can see many paintings of the scene. Uh, poems have been written. Novels with similar plots have been written, music has been written, and I'm told, I'm told that there's a video game that uh, copies the story, but I don't do that, so I don't know. And those words, oh my son, my son, if only I could have died instead of you. That sort of uh, sentiment will have been the experience of some of you or of people that you know. And I know the hardest funerals over the years have been to take uh, the funeral of a child who's died before the parent. It just seems the wrong way round. Anyway, we then get David's victorious troops creeping back into the city, and they must have thought they were going in for it with a joyful parade. But instead of that, it just becomes a time of sadness because the king keeps weeping and crying out for Absalom. 
Well, I'll come back to the very final verses um, in a moment after we've looked at our three main characters, David, Absalom and Joab, and looking at what was driving each of them. I have to confess to you at this point that um, having to preach on this today has been a bit of a struggle. It's always said, isn't it, that any, uh, any sermon should uh, be an important thing to preach to the preacher as well as those who are listening. Well, I can tell you this, is, this has been the case today. And it's because of the character of David. I have to say I've been a bit sort of ambivalent about the character of David um, from time to time. I can understand... I can see all the wonderfully positive things about him. Um, His bravery when he was young, his trust in God when he was just a young shepherd boy and facing up to Goliath. Uh, When he'd been anointed king, but King Saul was still the king. Uh, We can see the patience that David had. His forbearance, when he, he could have killed King Saul on one of, more than one occasion, but he knew it was the wrong thing to do. And so he held back. And uh, that's all wonderful. He was a man listening to God at those times. And we've sung the 23rd Psalm this morning. There are other Psalms of David. And, you know, they've brought such comfort to us, haven't they, and to other people over the years. They are wonderful, wonderful words. All David's psalms are really honest and open in the way that he talks to God. But on the other hand, and maybe it's because I'm female looking at the Bible, I've also felt really, really disappointed with David. I've mentioned the Bathsheba episode already, David wasn't with his army, which he should have been. He slept with a woman who was another man's wife, making her pregnant, and then arranged that Joab would have the husband killed, just to compound the whole of that. Now, we know that temptation is something that comes to all of us. It can be small things, sort of, each day, or big things, sometimes. And it's what we do with that temptation, isn't it, that is important, whether we seek God and follow God's ways about it or not. And on this occasion, David just entirely gave in to self-interest. and He clearly wasn't uh, looking to God at all. And the other issue I have is in this story of uh, David and Absalom. Um, the backstory for those of you who don't know it, this is one of the flashbacks, is that Absalom had a sister called Tamar. And just as Absalom was described as handsome, Tamar was described as very beautiful. Tragically, she was raped by Amnon, who was King David's oldest son by his uh, first wife. So Amnon and Tamar were half-brother and sister, Amnon refused to marry um, Tamar, which is what, according to the custom of the day, should have happened. And so she was just left in disgrace and really had a, a really difficult time. 
So Absalom was really indignant about what had happened to his sister, and uh, we can understand that, I think. Went to his father, David, the natural thing to do, wanting something to be put right, and yet David did nothing. He didn't react at all. And uh, we live, of course, today in days of the the Me Too campaign uh, over this last year. We live in days where there are many historical sex abuse cases being looked at, even within churches. And this just seems totally unacceptable, doesn't it, to us in, in, in these days. And to be fair to Scripture, the writer of 2 Samuel doesn't think it's acceptable either, if, if you look at the way that the text is written. Hence, you see, my ambivalence about thinking about David. Great things to say about him, and then not so good things. And yet David was described by God as a man over his, after his own heart. David's inaction over that rape um, led Absalom to take matters into his own hands. He killed his half-brother Amnon, which meant that he, Absalom, then had to flee into exile. And uh, that's how all of this uh, battle came about. So the three characters, we'll look at Joab first. Joab had been the commander of David's army for years. And he was, on the surface, a really successful man. He had many positive qualities as an army commander. And uh, we could say he was uh, fearless from what we read about him. He was a resourceful commander. And he was a brilliant strategist when it came to, to war. And it is true that God is concerned about our work our daily work, what we do each day, and how we do it. But as far as Joab was concerned, he seemed to have as much um, delight and efficiency, if you like, about uh, carrying out the dirty jobs uh, that he was given to do as, as the other jobs. So he killed or arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed. He killed Absalom. And There are no signs of remorse whatsoever. In fact, everything we read about this man, Joab, um, indicates that he wasn't concerned with God at all. We never hear him read about him turning to God or asking for God's help. I think his loyalty was, was to his position, his status perhaps, maybe to the army. But without God's guidance in his life, he actually became a very destructive person. And eventually he turned on King David and later turned on Solomon, who God had appointed to be the next king after David's death. So it was a really bad ending. And it it does make us think, doesn't it, about our daily life and how much we bring God into the things we're doing. Uh, It's easy to bring God in when we're in difficulties. I remember earnest prayer with certain classes in school when I was a teacher, and lots of earnest prayer since that in ministry, having to do all sorts of things. 
Um, there's a lovely story um, in Mark Green's latest book. You remember we had Mark Green come and talk at our uh, church weekend a few years ago. And uh, his latest book is just stories of people at work, Christians at work. And uh, this particular story is about a woman and she had to negotiate a contract as part of her work. And she was a very good negotiator. Uh, But she also believed that whatever she was doing at work, whether it was something she was comfortable with or something she might struggle with, she would always, always pray about it. So she did about this particular thing. And uh, God said a really strange thing to her. He said, when you go into that negotiation, whatever price is put on the job, just accept it. Don't argue. Well, as a good negotiator, she thought that was rubbish advice. Um, so she, she went in anyway to the, uh, to the situation and she thought, okay, well, this is the way I live. And she said, she told the person, the man, um, I don't know what you've got in mind for this piece of work, but whatever you say, I'm not going to argue with you. Um, I will accept the, the price on it. And uh, to cut a long story short, it meant that a whole lot of new work was opened up, a whole lot of extra people could be employed, and there was a good working relationship with that particular agency. So it had a really good outcome. So we we do need to be thinking, don't we, about the place of God in our work life, our volunteering life, uh, whatever we do with people that we see from time to time. Absalom. Well, we said what sort of person uh, he was. He really had a lot going from him, for him. And he, he could perhaps have been the next king had, had things turned out differently, had he been different. But going into that final battle, and I think you might have mentioned this last week, he was given varying advice. One, people, one person said one thing, somebody else said the opposite thing. And Absalom seemed to have no wisdom about what was the right advice. And he, like Joab, didn't turn to God either. He seemed to have uh, quite a lack in his character. And when he had done things right, he again did not ask for God's forgiveness. Instead, he let revenge really simmer and he became scheming and very devious about the way uh, that he moved forward. And his plan was to usurp David's throne and to be king himself. And... uh, he gained the popularity to be able to raise a large army in order to do that. So I think as we dwell on Absalom, there are, again, lessons for us. One is perhaps who we look to for leadership and what sort of character they are, and are we looking skin deep or are we looking at their hearts? That's one thing. Um, But also about seeking advice. And it is a good thing often, isn't it, to seek advice from people. But to ask God to weigh the advice for us, to to grant us God's wisdom that we would know the right thing to do. And of course, our own hearts. 
what are our hearts like? Are, are we letting revenge or resentment drive us in the way that we live our lives? Or are we asking God to come in and to help us to sort that out and to leave it behind us? How open are we to uh, letting God's Holy Spirit shape us and uh, mould us? David, finally. As I've said, we know David made his mistakes, but he was undoubtedly different from the other two. If you read his psalms, including the beautiful 23rd psalm and the words that come later into Samuel, you'll know that he recognised that everything he'd had, everything he had done, was a gift from God. Nothing due to what he'd done himself. He knew that God had anointed him to be king and that he had received God's Holy Spirit. And again and again, he speaks of God in his writing as his rock and his shield. He did recognise his own failings. And if you read some Psalms, and Psalm 51 is a classic, you know that he went to God in deep, deep repentance. He knew he was truly forgiven. Uh, and ask God for a fresh anointing to get going again. And whatever happened, he did always come back to God and that close communion. He sought God for wisdom, for guidance in all that he did. Um, hundreds of years later, Paul echoed some of David's words when he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Paul knew that as much as David did. So the story ends. David is continuing to weep. His victorious army felt sad. And it was Joab, the godless Joab, who actually brought David up short. And it's interesting who God has used to speak to other people over the years. And we shouldn't be surprised who God uses to bring us back into having God at the centre of our lives. So Joab probably was thinking of the well-being of his army and the risk of uh, there being an uprising if David wasn't fulfilling his kingly role. But it did give David a jolt. And although he, at that time, was obviously emotionally wrecked with the uh, death of his son, he knew that God had called him to be king. He knew he could ask God for the strength he needed to get back on the job. So he did sit at the gate of that town and people came to him and offered allegiance to him. And for the people, things and the army, things began to come back to normal. And it wasn't long until they were all back in the capital, Jerusalem. Along with some other people here, all women, I think, I was at the 60th anniversary concert of Cliff Richard on Friday night. Well, at least I was at the cinema, because it was, you know, a live, live showing from Manchester. And uh, it was good that Cliff Richard could say that even though he'd had these 
really, really painful years with things people saying about him, uh, that he'd been able to rely on God. And he was very open in uh, speaking about that. And uh, there's actually a, a quote, not from Friday night, but from earlier on, when he says, what other people think of me is becoming less and less important, but what they think of Jesus because of me is critical. And I guess that's something we might like to uh, say about ourselves. David was a man. Uh, we'll, we'll have the nice slide as I've found it somewhere. He was a man um, with a heart after God. That's what God said about him. He was in communion with God and he knew God was faithful, knew God was his rock. And as we think of him crying over the death of Absalom, oh my son, my son, we can perhaps just also imagine God crying over Jesus on the cross as Jesus died. And yet God loves each one of us enough that he allowed Jesus to go on the cross for us. And that's how we can be sure that we can have the Holy Spirit, that we can turn to God. And whatever our need is, God will put us back on track, will sort us out, and will lead us on with him driving our lives as the number one at the centre.